Are you being influenced? If you've watched a blockbuster film in the last decade, there's a chance it's been influenced by the Chinese Communist Party. Here's the reality. The CCP may be running the largest influence campaign in history. In Hollywood Takeover, brought to you by the Epic Times, investigative reporter Tiffany Meyer reveals how the CCP exerts control over some major studios. Don't miss the most important documentary about Hollywood yet. And for a limited time, you can watch the first 10 minutes for free at HollywoodTakeover.com slash Ben. HollywoodTakeover.com slash Ben. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. I'd like to take a moment and have a real heart-to-heart with you. If you're able right now, place your hand over your heart. Can you feel it? That's your heartbeat telling you that you're alive. It's the same for a pre-born baby. Their heart begins to form at conception... And at just three weeks, it's already beating. At five weeks, a baby's heartbeat can be heard on ultrasound. And that's why we've partnered with Preborn, because we need to help these precious babies. Every day, Preborn's networks of clinics rescue 200 babies from abortion. When a mother with an unplanned pregnancy meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine encounter. That doubles a baby's chances at life. And by six weeks, the eyes are forming. By 10 weeks, a baby is able to suck his or her own thumb. And for just $28, you could be the difference between life or death of a child. All gifts are tax deductible, and I want you to donate. All you have to do is just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250, keyword baby. You can also donate securely at preborn.com slash verdict that's preborn.com slash verdict or pound 250 and say the keyword baby when you have health insurance it's easy to forget about your out-of-pocket costs that can be a lot of money but are your bills accurate well it's estimated that over 50 percent of medical bills contain errors HealthLock can help you. HealthLock technology securely connects with your insurance and flags any overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped its members save over $130 million. So to save, visit HealthLock.com today. That's HealthLock.com today. The senators remain in D.C. A coronavirus relief bill is back on the table. Some people want to spend $1 trillion. Some people want to spend $3 trillion. I'm sure by the time this is all over, we'll be up 10 11 however many trillion. Well, everybody is here trying to spend money. Nobody's pocketbook is safe. We will get into the specifics of each bill being proposed. This is Verdict with Ted Cruz. Welcome back to Verdict with Ted Cruz. I'm Michael Knowles. And I got to tell you, Senator, we're going to be talking about a lot of big numbers today. But beyond legislation, there's a really big number on this show. We're now north of 14 million downloads. And beyond that, 
We have 4.7 out of five-star reviews. That's our average rating. And I got to tell you, usually for political shows, the lefties come in and they spam you with one-star reviews. So that is pretty good. So do you think the folks watching this one could could up that to 4.8? You know, it would it would help. If, they, if you could just go leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, wh- wherever you're at, uh, that would be terrific. You can also obviously find us on YouTube all over the place. We'll send you an audio cassette on a carrier pigeon if you like. Uh, thank you so much to everybody who's-, who's We don't have audio cassettes. We don't, we don't no, have a track? There are, there, are no, there are no audio cassettes. I'm so conservative. I'm, I'm really uh, looking back in time. Well, uh, that, we, we are writing it with a quill pen, though. <laughs> every, every episode. Do, do you know, by the way, yeah. that every time you argue a Supreme Court case, the U.S. Supreme Court, you get not one but two quill pens? What? They give the advocates two quill pens. That seems like wasteful government spending, I, but it's very cool. On my, uh, on my desk in the Senate office is a cup holder filled with quill pens from arguments I've done. Yeah, you've argued a number of these. I've, I've got to go and see these, these quills at some point. And by the way, you know what you can do with a quill pen? What can you do? You can hit subscribe on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it may not work. I don't but, know but if you that, could, yeah. It'd be worth trying. You could like poke at it. We don't want any liability here for damage to your computer screen, but we do want you to subscribe. So go on and ring that bell and hopefully we'll bring that number north of 15 million or 16 million or maybe north of 3 trillion as we talk about this coronavirus spending. I would like to pivot a moment uh, to something that I know is on everybody else's mind as well. The fact that you are still in D.C., it is, uh, I think, not something that senators are very happy about because the senators are supposed to be home on vacation right now, but you're all still in town. Well, actually, not quite yet. So we were okay. supposed to be here anyway. So, okay. so, so so this week was scheduled to be the last week of session. And then you go into vacation. And, and then, so actually, vacation's not the right phrase for it. So, okay. so to, to be fair, look, now nobody accuses politicians of working too much, but, <laughs> but I will say the, the usual schedule of the Senate, like yeah. in, in any given week, any given month is typically you have three weeks in session mm-hmm. and one week that that it's called like the state work period where you're back in the state. Yeah. But if you're doing your job, you're on the road, you're traveling a state like Texas, you're traveling all over the place. Yeah. So so it um, when you're not in session, you're still working. Yeah, it's not not exactly relaxing to be going all right. over the state. And so but for work. the month of August, typically there are five weeks where you're not in session and you you plan all sorts of different you plan trips, you plan events, you plan all sorts of things. Now in COVID, it's a little weird because scheduling anything is difficult. One of the strange things about the Senate, so we don't know if there's going to be a deal between the House and Senate. We don't know what's going to happen. This is specifically on a COVID stimulus relief package. And and so at this point, um, I think probably what will happen is most senators will go back to their states next week. Okay. And what leadership has said is, well, if there's a deal cut, we'll give you 24 hours notice and you come back. You got to come back. And it's... um, So where does that stand? Because I know uh, there have been a lot of deals on the table. Nancy Pelosi had one. Then Mitch McConnell had one. Then some Senate Republicans have disagreed with the Republican plan. So who would do that? I can't imagine. What kind of rabble rousers? (laughs) Some guy from Texas. There there you go. I I would never... What is, I mean, even before we get into the merits of it, just what is in those different plans? All right. So Nancy Pelosi's is the biggest, and it's a bill that the House passed um, a couple of months ago, and it's over $3 trillion, about $3.4 trillion. What's $3 trillion between friends? Look, even in in federal government terms, that is a crap ton of money. Yeah. Um, That was a bill, frankly, that she didn't negotiate with senators. She didn't talk to Republicans. She just passed it on a party line vote. And it's basically 
every gift she can give to to her party's supporters. It, it's intended to be a campaign document. I mean, I saw one story that she she had a handout to the marijuana industry to help cure COVID. Is so, it- so the word marijuana appears more frequently in the Nancy Pelosi bill than does the word jobs. <laughs> Look at <laughs> no. And and I guess if you're high enough, you don't notice that you're unemployed and broke. <laughs> Who cares? I, I right. mean, that th- there is a certain mm-hmm. um, kind of Nancy Pelosi Pelosi sense to it. Yeah, that's right. I, you know, it is. So that's that's one bill is the okay. House version. Doesn't sound great. The Senate version that was drafted by Senate Republican leadership is is only a trillion. So it's really a bargain. It's a you steal. Know? I mean, it. Uh, and unfortunately, it has many of the same elements. It doesn't have all of the, I mean, look, they threw into the Nancy Pelosi bill voting by mail. They threw all these priorities that have nothing to do with coronavirus, yeah. but they figured, all right, let's make all our, our special interest happy. Um, the Senate version spends a trillion dollars. So it it sends everyone a $1,200 check again, does okay. that does that again. Uh, it re-ups the PPP, the Paycheck Protection Program. So it spends more on that. This is basically for businesses to keep people employed. Um, it it sends about $100 billion to schools. Um, mm-hmm. Now, mind you, many of the schools that are saying they're not going to open, so it's not clear what they need $100 billion to not teach our kids. Well, but the teachers' unions still need money. I it, it's And so there's all these diff- different pockets of money. and And right now... There are a couple of areas of disagreement. One is just price tag, the difference between one yeah. trillion and three point four trillion. I've I've joked they're gonna compromise and spend five. Yeah. <laughs> like 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 that. Right. So is there an alternative to these these? Well, two plans? As, it, as it so happens, I, I rolled one out today. Yeah. And 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 uh at the Senate lunch today, I addressed my Republican colleagues and I said, look, my principal criticism with both the Pelosi bill and the McConnell bill. It's not just the price tag. I think the price tag's too much. But, yeah. but, but it's a more fundamental uh, concern, which is neither of these bills are focused on jobs. Yeah. We've seen 51 million Americans lose their jobs in the last four months. I mean, I mean, you and I, in our lifetimes, that's never happened. Last time yeah. it, we've had numbers like that were the Great Depression. Yeah. That, that number is so huge. And you've, you know, every week it's ticked up from 20 to 30 to 51 million American workers. It's staggering. And so the most problematic aspect of the CARES Act, and I look, I voted for the CARES Act. It was 96 to nothing in the Senate. So every Republican, every Democrat supported it. I supported it. Bernie Sanders supported it. CARES Act is the first relief bill. It's the first big one. There were a couple of smaller ones, but the the CARES Act was a big bill. It had lots of elements, some some that were pretty good, some that were not. The worst element was concerning unemployment compensation. There is a federal plus up of $600 a week. Now, now what does that mean? So we've had an unemployment compensation system for a long time where if you lose your job, you can file for unemployment and you get a percentage of your wages typically, and it's administered at the state level. So you don't get 100% of your wages uh, you, usually. You typically get a, a much smaller percentage. So it's it's designed to help you like make ends meet, but yeah. not be comfortable. But, you know, it's not yeah. designed to be a permanent um, situation. Well, in the CARES Act, federal government plus that up 600 bucks a week. Here, in the state of Texas, let me give you some specifics. Used to be the maximum on under unemployment was $521 a week. Yeah. Add 600 new federal dollars, that takes it from 521 to 1121 a week. 
Now, $1,121 a week, that works out to about $58,000 a year. That's about $28 an hour. Now, look, if you're, if you're a doctor, if you're making 100 bucks an hour, $28 an hour is not yeah. deeply attractive. But if you're working in an hourly job, if you're working at a movie theater, if you work at a bowling alley, if you're a waiter or a waitress and you're making 9, 10, 11 bucks an hour, yeah. suddenly the government is paying you more and in a lot of instances a lot more yeah. not to work than to work. Um, so why do they put that in the bill? It seems to me they put that in the bill. I don't think it's a coincidence that it's an election year. So, look, shoveling money out of Washington is something the Democrats are good at. <laughs> right. And in this instance, I think it's the most cynical portion. So in the, in, huh. the, in Nancy Pelosi version, it just continues that $600 plus up. Okay. Just, just keeps going and going and going. And there's a reason for that. I think Pelosi and Schumer have decided that the way they win in November— is if 51 million people are still unemployed. That their objective is shut the entire country down, shut every business down, shut every school down, and have everyone sitting at home alone and broke and unemployed and pissed off and depressed and pessimistic about the future. And I think they think, bingo, Joe Mm -hmm. Biden wins if that happens. And so every bit of of the Democratic bill is designed to make sure nobody goes back to work. They don't want anyone to go back to work. Yeah. Now, the stupid thing about the Republican bill is it has the same ideas. It just spends less money. Huh. I mean, we basically take Pelosi's agenda and say, well, we're going to be cheaper. Huh. We'll do the same things. Right. We just won't fund it as well. But, and, and I urged Republican senators today, I said, look, in a battle to be Santa Claus, the Dems will always outbid us. There's, yeah. there's no limit to how much money they will borrow. Uh, so then- and, and try to give away. So here's what we ought to do instead. Yeah. Is we ought to bring jobs back. Simple which enough. means we ought to be cutting taxes, cutting regulations from small businesses. Um, millions of small businesses shut down during this crisis. A lot of them are just starting to open, but they don't know if they're going to survive. They're scared. We ought to be cutting taxes, cutting regulations, so that those small businesses can open and they can rehire their employees and they can survive. Yeah. Um. So I introduced a bill uh, called the Recovery Act, and it, and it is focused, instead of just spending cash, it's focused on reducing taxes and reducing regulations to get people back at work. So what are some of the elements of the Recovery Act? Um, eliminating the payroll tax for the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. That has an immediate effect of giving every worker in America a raise. Right now, in your next paycheck, you get a raise. And, and it makes, it doesn't, it, it's not that it only gives the workers a raise. It also incentivizes the employers who pay part of that to rehire their workers. So half the payroll tax is paid by the employer, half is paid by the employee. So it makes it less expensive for employers to have employees. Yeah. And the employees get a raise. And, and that is an incentive yeah. then for people to go work. It's an incentive for small businesses to hire employees. But not only that, the Recovery Act also says for the next $10,000 you earn this year, it's totally tax-free, no federal <laughs> income tax. Again, that's, that's, it, it's about a marginal incentive. If you look at economics, you look at basic principles of economics, what matters are the marginal incentives, the incentives <laughs> on if you do X, what is your reward or your detriment? Okay. And, See, it's funny because that, that's a, it's a technical point you're making. Uh, so I want to make sure we're getting it right because it seems so simple. You know, in the Democrat 
bill, or I guess even in the Republican leadership bill, it's just about tossing money out. Whereas here, it's very simple, just on the margins. If you want to see an action, you need to incentivize that action. If you want more work, you want more jobs, you want to incentivize more work and more jobs, make it more profitable for employees and for employers to have more work and more jobs. And look, I've said a bunch of times, uh, you know, the little book, Everything We Need to Know in Life, we learned in kindergarten. Yeah. We know that we know that at our home or with our family. If you want, if you want your kids to to do the dishes, yeah. you say I'll give you five bucks to do the dishes. Yeah. Like, like <laughs> right. that, we or you understand get to eat more that. candy, or, or, you get to stay or whatever. Or I, mean, whatever I mean, it's you know, it's yeah. whether it's carrot or stick. Right. Um, what the Democrats are doing is incentivizing not working. And to give you, I mean, the the stats are amazing. Right now, sixty eight percent of the people receiving these unemployment benefits are making more from unemployment than they were making their jobs. Hmm. 20% are making twice as much. And, you know, when we when we passed the CARES Act, we actually had a Republican amendment at the time, very reasonable common sense amendment that said, simply capped unemployment benefits at whatever you're, whatever you're making. Yeah. Just said you shouldn't make more on unemployment. It shouldn't be more profitable than working. Right. right. Even that has significant disincentives to work. But we said, okay, look, at a basic minimum, let's not pay people more not to work. To sit at home, yeah. We had a big debate on the Senate floor. So Dick Durbin, who's really one of the smartest and most capable Democrats. Hmm. Okay. Um, he, he is a, a, a worthy adversary, and he and I have hmm. debated many issues many times. Um, he's on Senate Judiciary with me, and we go round and round a lot. In Th- fact, that we, is, you know, it, that's interesting because I pay attention to the Republican senators much more than to the Democrats. There, there are some who seem not particularly impressive. You're saying Dick Durbin is is one of the more Durbin's impressive. a smart guy, and one of the things that's that he's good at is he sounds quite reasonable. He doesn't sound as shrill as some of his colleagues. He is, yeah. but he doesn't sound it, and that yeah. makes him more effective. So he was down there, and I was making this argument on the Senate floor, and he came back, and he said, you know, that just shows the problem with Cruz. Cruz thinks that the people who've lost their jobs are lazy jerks that just want to sit on the sofa and don't want to work. And he's insulting every person who's lost their job in this crisis. Is that what you said? I, didn't, I must have missed that. Well, and it actually was a great illustration of the argument back and forth of, of, of a lot of the differences between Democrats and Republicans, because— Durbin was doing what demagogues do often, which is, which is turning it into a morality play hmm. where hmm. you're saying that these people are bad and evil and shiftless. And, and I actually got up and responded. I said, no, I'm actually saying exactly the opposite, which is people are rational yeah. and they respond to incentives. And we need to think about what those incentives are. And I said, you know what? You're a single mom and you, let's say you're waiting tables and suddenly the government pays you twice as much money to stay home, you love your kids, so you're going to respond to that incentive. Of, of course. course you are. And yeah, it's not, that you're, it's that. not that you're lazy. It's your, your, yeah. like, if, if you tell anyone, <laughs> I'm going to pay smart. you twice <laughs> as much to do X than Y, most people will say, all right, I'll do X. Yeah. But that's not helping those individuals. It's not helping yeah. the small business. It's not helping the economy. But I think Pelosi and Schumer are fine with that because they don't want anyone yeah. to work right now. They right. want everything shut down. Right. I want to mention yeah. a couple of other elements in, in okay. the Recovery Act that yeah. are important. Health savings accounts. Oh, great. So really important part of health care reform, tax-advantaged account that you could save to pay health care costs. Here's the problem. Federal law makes it illegal for anyone to have a health savings account hmm. unless they have a high deductible insurance uh, policy. And most people don't. 
Okay. So the overwhelming majority of Americans are not allowed to have health savings accounts. So one of the things I have in the Recovery Act, every American can have a health savings account. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that lets right. you, look, it's a time of pandemic. People are worried about health care for their family. It lets them have save for health care in a way that, that, that is tax advantaged to meet their needs. I, I have a health savings account. I love it. I, it's great. Most Americans are not allowed to, and we can change that. Yeah. Um, school choice, as you know, I'm passionate about it. I have legislation that 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 provides that that you get a federal tax credit for contributions to scholarship granting organizations in K through 12 education. Yeah. Massively expands choice for parents, particularly for parents. Like if you're sitting there and your school is not teaching, you ought to be have the choices to find something else to teach your kids. Right. Um, these are policies that are pro growth, pro jobs that that are consistent with conservative principles. And actually, to be fair. The school choice proposal that I have is right now in Mitch McConnell's bill. Hmm. So that's an element. He took Good. my legislation Good. and included it. Now, I'll confess, I'm quite worried. The teachers unions hate my bill. So I'm quite worried that the Democrats, if there is a deal, will say hell no and that leadership will negotiate it away, that it's basically trade bait. So yeah. they're including it, hmm. but they aren't going to fight it, fight for it. Right. So but that would be a very important reform. Right. Even the fact that that exists, right? There are provisions of these bills that are just there to use as leverage when you're negotiating with the other side. Sometimes, certainly. Yeah. So you'll you'll be you'll either go home or you'll stick around here. But eventually, the Senate will have to come in and vote on this, and we'll see what's in the final package. Well, maybe there may not be a deal. Really? Um, I don't know. I'm not convinced Nancy Pelosi wants a deal. Hmm. Um, it, it's. I think they've made the decision. They may have made the decision, do no deal, insists on give us everything, even as bad as Republicans are, like surrendering 100% is too big an ask. And I think the Democrats may have made the political judgment, we'll blame it all on them. We'll make it really tough until the election for the country. And and then they they think they're going to win if that's the case. If everyone is at home and broke. Yeah. Um, that's how you have a terrible election. And, and what I'm urging the president, what I'm urging Republicans is, look, I get why Nancy Pelosi wants that. Yeah. I understand the political self-interest. It's cynical. It's, it's, it hurts millions of Americans, but I understand why she's doing it. Why would Republicans be complicit right. in that though? Like, are, like, are <laughs> doesn't we, doesn't help Republicans. Are, are we lemmings? Are we all yeah. rushing off the same cliff going, yes, please. Let's crash <laughs> on the rocks below. What, what What's up with that? Well, unfortunately, I think uh, certainly for some people that that's exactly what they're doing. But by the way, did you ever read uh, Douglas Adams, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the da- Galaxy? I actually never have, albeit a classic. <sighs> All right. Just for the record, that makes me far geekier than you. <laughs> I, I wasn't um, going to say it. But OK, so it's th- th- three series. The second one is Restaurant at the End of the Universe. Yeah. And uh, th- there is a scene when when if I'm remembering right, although I haven't read this in 30 years. But if I remember right, there's a scene where they're sitting at the restaurant and and up to the table walks a creature that identifies this creature has been bred uh, with a something that talks and a cow and a lemming. So mm-hmm. it's able to speak and it's suicidal. And it yeah. walks up and says, 
So I'm for dinner tonight, and let me tell you. My, so my hindquarters are very, very tender, and I've been and, and like your dinner discusses with you which portion of of the dinner to, to be served. And so it's just with the lemming, lemming example. It uh, that's an image of the Republican Party, perhaps. Sometimes it, it's a little bit. We're walking up, going uh, okay. So which you know? Yeah, here's where you should go after us. Here's yeah. A, yeah that's sad, but unfortunately, I think it's and, true. And by the way, comedy is incredibly potent especially because the left has destroyed comedy. Yeah, right, right. Like, like you and I were talking last night. I love Saturday Night Live. I grew up watching Saturday Night oh, Live. Oh, yeah. There, there are some great eras of that show. Uh, it, it, it is. Have you watched young Eddie Murphy on Saturday Night Live? Terrific. When he's like 19 years old and yeah. just such a talent. Yeah, yeah. And, and by the way, SNL on comedy has been spectacular, but it's not funny anymore. Yeah. Because their only script is we hate Donald Trump. Yeah. It's just a, it, ha ha. It's a screed, yeah. and it's like, okay, fine. Look, are there jokes to tell about Donald Trump? Sure. <laughs> One or two, yeah. But when it all just becomes right. rage. Yeah. Or, you know, after after Hillary lost, they had that nauseating sketch where they, they're playing <laughs> Hallelujah on the Hall- piano. And, and just and crying. Oh oh, and it was, gosh. oh, it was. Where's it, the humor coming in? I don't. You look at the late night hosts. Um, I mean, I loved listening to, you know, Johnny Carson and, yeah. and Leno. And, and and actually, I like jokes at my expense. I laugh yeah. at them. The late night hosts are not. Uh, the one exception I would say is is Jimmy Fallon. Jimmy Fallon tries to be yeah. more even handed. He's a little, little more old school about the job. But, yeah. you know, Colbert is just a. a uh, unwatchable. Yeah. It, it is liberal id. Yeah. Raging. And how about just be funny again. And so so what that means though, is there's a huge space for humor. Yeah. That's not Marxist. Like that's just not woke. Yeah. You know, on the topic of humor, we got a compliment from RD uh, who says, first of all, both of your timely humor has gotten me through the insanity of 2020. Thank you, RD. Appreciate it. Seriously. It's the best. You need to work on your timeliness there. I know that was not timely. (laughs) That was not at all time. Uh, When Trump wins. I like the confidence there. When Trump wins, uh, do you see absolute chaos in the big cities occurring again? Is anyone preparing? I have guns. Don't worry about me. Just don't like seeing America burn. You know, there's there's a Freudian concept of projection hmm. that that what you're doing, you accuse others of doing. Have you noticed all the Dems and all the media saying, what if Trump doesn't accept the results of the election? I have noticed that. They still haven't admitted who won 2016. They haven't admitted who won 2000, and, for that matter. And, well, there is that. And, <laughs> and and by the way, Stacey Abrams is a damn fine governor She's of Georgia. She's doing a great but job. Like, they're literally in just this alternative yeah. reality where where, right. where it— Did you see what was it? There was a—so I only read the headlines, so I may get the details wrong, but yeah, it's close enough for government work. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess they were doing political war games— where they had John Podesta, who was yeah. the chairman of Hillary's campaign, who, this was was, in the New York Times. who was playing Joe Biden, and in the war game, refused to accept the outcome of the election. And, and they had them, like, what was it, California, Oregon, and Washington seceding from the union yeah. because Biden lost. Well, you know, the, the, when they introduced this scenario, which, you know, who, who am I to doubt the mainstream media? They said John Podesta— they expected in this war game for him to concede on election night just as he did in 2016 on behalf of Hillary. But he didn't. People forget this. He didn't concede on election night on behalf of Hillary. He came out and he said, 
we'll wait to see what the results are. And frankly, by the way, why didn't Hillary speak that night? <laughs> she, I think she was probably a little upset in whatever hotel room she was waiting um, in. I, do you know of any other campaign where the, the candidate doesn't speak? Where you, you send that? I mean, that's weird. You, let let so, me just, like, for the record. John Podesta's exact words were, uh, you know, Hillary, you know, Hillary's here. She thanks you so much for being here for her because she's always here for you. And my thought at the time, I said, except right now when it's most important for her to show up on stage, she refused to do it. Where was she? Uh, listen, I I have been in campaigns where I won. I've been in campaigns yeah. where I lost. By the way, winning is much better. <laughs> I've heard not, that. Not even close. <laughs> But, you know, in every instance on election night, you come out and talk to the people. Like, yeah. like that's a pretty basic, like, social compact. But, so if Trump wins re-election, yeah. which I hope he will, I think he will, but I think it's very volatile. Mm -hmm. I'm worried about this election. I agree. If Trump wins re-election, I think the left will go in paroxysms of part of how they've rationalized the last three and a half years is they view it as a crazy fluke. Yeah. And their resolve never to let it again. But but their rage, I I think they lose their minds Yeah, if he wins. And I, I, look, I, do, do you see more violence from them? Probably. We're seeing violence now. Yeah. I, I, it... I see, um, I see it as an implicit threat when, when you have very prominent Democratic politicians, including Joe Biden, who have said, we can't take four more years of this. They're referring to the left-wing violence in the streets. That sounds a little bit like a threat to I, me. I, it, it, there's reason to be worried. There's reason to be worried. I was hoping you'd make us feel so much better about it. But, but the, you know, the reality of it is look, there's look, reason to be here, worried. And here's the reason to feel better. Yeah. Truth prevails over time. Hmm. Right. I, look, I am an optimist through and through, and I believe that. You, you know, you and I, a couple of weeks ago, we were out in L.A., and we did a bunch of pods and radio shows. Yeah. One of the most interesting is you and I together did Dennis Prager's show. Yeah. Now, now Dennis is so brilliant. Oh, He's yeah. so encyclopedic. Um, I got to say, by the way, as an interesting observation, doing the podcast has spoiled me. Yes, I know. Because the radio format, you had just these little snippets of four or five minutes, and then you broke for a commercial. And I was like, what, what do you mean? For five or six minutes of commercial. But, and like, then it goes, but, yes, but it was I just— I, you, can't, you can't get into it as much. And I've done this, a ton of— radio before and I had never really noticed yeah. it until we've done podcasts where if you don't talk about an issue, you talk about an issue. Yeah. But Dennis and I, and, and I think the world of Dennis, but we had actually a substantive disagreement yeah. where, where I made a reference. I said, um, I agree with, with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. that, that, that the, the arc of history bends towards justice. Yeah. And Dennis said, well, well, I don't think that at all. Actually, hold on. Michael does a great Dennis Prager impression. So he, he says, said, so give me Dennis. Now, Senator, I I hear you, but I disagree. <laughs> I do not believe the arc of history <laughs> bends toward justice. That's, That's I strong. Need, I need it's, a little more size, a little it's, more height. It's, but, yeah. so, so he said, and, and he came back and he said, well, where was the arc of history in 1939 Germany? Um, and he said, where was the arc of history in, in the Soviet gulags? Yeah. And I actually came back. He had said earlier in the interview, he said, well, well, you know, Ted, disagree with me if, if, if you want to. And I said, well, actually, Dennis, I'm going to come disagree with you on that. Yeah. Um, you asked, where was the arc of history in 1939 Germany? It was on those stark cliffs. Yeah. When our boys scaled the impossible heights. Yeah. 
and led the world in defeating the Nazi menace and freeing the globe right. from that evil. Where was the arc of history in, in Solzhenitsyn's gulag, in the hellhole that was there? It was standing before the Brandenburg Gate when Ronald Reagan said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Yeah. And, and, and I believe, look, truth doesn't win every skirmish. It doesn't win any ba- every battle. It doesn't guarantee the result in this election. Yeah. And if Biden and Schumer and Pelosi win this election, we will go through a dark couple of years of some terrible policies. Yeah. But I believe over time, truth prevails. Yeah. And, and, I, yeah. and so that's a reason to be optimistic. And there is just in a very basic Christian sense, you know, there is a happy ending to this story. Trouble is things can get very dark before you arrive at that happy ending, but I suppose we'll just have to wait and see in the meantime. Senator, that's all the time we have. I'm Michael Knowles. This is Verdict with Ted Cruz. This episode of Verdict with Ted Cruz is being brought to you by Jobs, Freedom, and Security PAC, a political action committee dedicated to supporting conservative causes, organizations, and candidates across the country. In 2022, Jobs, Freedom, and Security PAC plans to donate to conservative candidates running for Congress and help the Republican Party across the nation. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball. From growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.